Hey, good morning. Welcome to, to Crossroads in our Roman series. Uh, we're going to kind of get right into it this morning. I want to give you just a little foundational background for those of you who have not been with us. We have been in Romans. I think this is our seventh week in Romans. And at the very beginning of Romans, we hear Paul say, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. If you notice, three times in there, we hear the word righteousness. Paul is going to talk about how sinful, broken people can be in a right relationship with a holy, perfect, righteous God. Basically, for five weeks, Paul has just been pounded on people, pounded on us. You think you're good enough to be right with God in your, yourselves, and Paul says, no, you aren't. You think you're religious enough to be right with God, and Paul says, no, you aren't. You think because you're a Jew, you're going to be right with God, and Paul says, no, absolutely, you're not. We're not going to read it this morning, but in, in verses 11 and 12, Paul simply just says, there's no one. No one is righteous in and of themselves. You might say, well, the optimist will say, look at the bright side. If, if none of us are right before God, at least we're all in, in it together. And uh, the optimist would be right. There's not a lot of comfort I take in that. But we are all in this spiritual thing together. We're all sinful. We're all broken. Based on what we bring to the table, we are all, as Levi said last week, in a sinking ship. And that's the problem. Some of you have maybe seen images of the movie Titanic. Uh, maybe you've seen uh, movies of, of Titanic and what happened there. But uh, while there's a gaping, gaping hole in the hull of this ship, there are people in their finest clothes dancing and singing as if nothing has is, is gone wrong at the, the top of the boat. And, and that is the problem. I can't think of a, a more accurate picture that kind of shows the spiritual condition of people today than that. People being on a cruise line, cruising through life as though everything is okay. Uh, people thinking, well, it doesn't really matter what ship you get on, everyone's going to go to the same place and we're all going to arrive just fine. While there is a hole in the, the side of the ship so big that in less than three hours that ship was on the bottom of the ocean. This morning, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us how we, as sinful, broken people, can actually be in a right relationship with God. And he, he gives one of the largest, as Levi says, the phrase he uses is, but now. Uh, that's a phrase that we use. Lynn and I, before we had air conditioning, might say, our house is just so hot. But now that we got central air conditioning, it's, it's quite comfortable. Uh, you might think of every time that I cook grandma's cookies, I burnt them, but now I learned how to set the timer and everything's just fine. They, they come out great. Paul has a, an amazing, a, a life-transforming, an eternity-altering but now that he shares with us. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 21 and we're going to look at 10 simple verses here. And uh, I think as you're going to see, they are rich with truth. We're going to also see this word righteousness. Look out for it as I read here. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But now, Paul says, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been known to which the law and the prophets testify. This is something that was pointed to even in the Old Testament. 
Verse 22, the right, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness. There's our word again, at the present time. So as to be the one who just, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Verse 21 says, where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is the God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith, that's talking Jews and Gentiles there, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Church, the Bible is completely full of priceless, priceless truths. None more than what we just read. We don't have the time to look at all these verses in depth. So what I want to do this morning is simply pick out and highlight four different terms, four different words that Paul uses here, ultimately really to describe how God uh, has taken sinful man and, and made it possible for us to have a right relationship with him. T term number one, righteousness. The first term I want to notice is in verses 21 through 22. Again, it's the word righteousness. And that's the, the primary term that Paul uses in this section and, and in Romans as well. 21 says, but now, apart from the law, the, the, the law, the righteousness of God has been known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So if you've been around Crossroads for the last seven uh, weeks, you know that for two and a half chapters, Paul has been talking about unrighteousness, the sin that separates us from a holy God. And sin is, is an archery term. And maybe uh, I shouldn't like the term sin, but I like anything that goes along with archery. Uh, sin just simply means like an archer missing the mark of what they're shooting at. That's what sin is. Sin, it not only represents or it separates us from God, but sin actually damages every single relationship that we have. And in the first part of Romans, Paul makes the case that we have a sin problem that none of us has the ability to take care of on our own. In fact, getting right with God involves the first step of acknowledging that we are our sinners, that we have a sin problem. Lots of times as, as Christians, we might use the term, I'm saved, but we forget what are we saved from. If you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are saved from the just and the right penalty for your sin against a holy God. 
In verse 21, Paul says, But now there is a righteousness from God that is apart from the law. In other words, it is apart from anything that we do with human effort. So what does righteousness mean? If we're talking about God being righteous, we're talking about God being just. He is right and correct in all that he does. When we're talking about a righteousness that he gives to us, we're talking about God making it so we can be right with him. Right in the eyes of God. Even though we've sinned and we've missed the mark of God's holy standard, we can stand before God and not be condemned or ashamed. When you think about righteousness, simply think right with God. Now please, understand that righteousness is not earned. It's not a reward for our behavior. It's not a wage for a job well done. It is in no way deserved. It's a gift. In verse 22, Paul tells us how this gift is received and who this gift is for. Chapter 3, verse 21 says, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. To all who believe. The gift of right standing before God is received by simple faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's given to all who believe who Jesus is. He was the sinless son of God and who believe what Jesus did. He lived a sinless, perfect life and yet he willingly went to the cross and shed his blood and died and rose again so that we could have a right relationship with God. And who is it available to? All who believe. Paul says the gift of righteousness is not just for the Jews. It's not just for the super religious. It's not for the people that we think have it all together. It's not for, for the rich. It's for all people. Anyone who would willingly reject trying to get right with God on their own and freely receive the gift of grace that's been given will receive the righteousness of Christ. The right standing that Christ has can be ours. We can literally stand before God as a son or a daughter. We have been right, made right with God. What an amazing amazing truth let me ask you how often in the morning do you think about your position in Jesus Christ how often do you think of the radical change that that makes so as Paul continues in our, our 10 verses this morning he provides three other terms three other words that just full more fully describe this right relationship that we can have with God Again, this morning, I want you to hear these three terms and I want you to understand these terms in your head. But more importantly, I'm praying that these terms will make their way down to your heart, that we will grab these terms at the place where our affections lie so that, that they will transform the way we view ourselves, the way we view our relationship with God and with others, and that, quite honestly, that we'll experience the joy and the peace and the hope that Jesus wants us to have. It's amazing what can happen when we, when we grab hold of truth, not at just the head level, but at the heart level as well. 
So these three words can seem just a, a little bit churchy. Maybe you've heard them, maybe you haven't. Either way is okay. But they simply, Paul is using them to paint a picture of God's righteousness that he's extended to us. So let's look at verses 22 through 25 to further see these three terms. Verse 22 says, This righteousness, this right standing with God, is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, that's going to be our first term, freely by His grace through the redemption, that's our second term, that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, our third term, through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. If you have your own Bible, I would encourage you, underline justified, underline redemption, and underline atonement. We're not going to spend a ton of time on any one of these, but again, I want to, want to speak enough about these so that you and your, your, your mind's eye can get a vision of what Paul is, is painting here. Term number one, justified, is a legal term. It paints a picture of someone who is on trial. To be justified simply means to be declared righteous, to be declared right. Now, I want you to understand that, it, that there are times where an innocent person, a person who has not committed a crime, is charged with a crime and then goes before a judge or a jury and they are acquitted. That means that the law and the evidence has, has demonstrated that they're innocent. They didn't do the crime. That's not the picture that Paul is painting here. Don't, don't leave here thinking of that. Paul is painting a picture of a criminal who did a crime and is now utterly guilty and deserving of punishment. And I want you to look at the screen. There's a, a short little video clip of a man who is being sentenced for a horrendous crime that he committed. And as you look at the desperation on his face awaiting a just sentence, imagine the emotions that he's feeling. He is in anguish because he is aware of the crime that he committed and the punishment that he deserves. Church, I think it's easy for us to forget that but for the grace of God, this would be you and I. Sitting before a, a righteous, holy God, deserving of punishment. We would have a look of despair and hopelessness that he's feeling. Paul says that faith in Jesus Christ provides the convicted sinner, that guy right there, you and I, even though we are guilty, it pronounces us innocent and we are treated by God as if we are innocent. God in a legal sense totally wipes our slate clean. The righteousness of Christ is literally given to us. To be justified spiritually means it is just as if you and I had never sinned. Can you imagine how you would feel if you were that young man and the judge literally walked up and said, you are innocent? He wipes your, clean, your, your, your record clean and sets you free. Your offense will never, ever be held against you again. Friend, if you were here this morning and you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, 
you have gone from deserving not only earthly punishment, but eternal punishment to receiving eternal reward. Jesus took our punishment and he gives us his righteousness, his right standing with God. That's the first image that Paul paints here of God's righteousness and grace. The second is found in verse 24. It says, All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redemption is that second term I want us to look at. The gift of God's grace involves redemption. Paul introduces another image that people in ancient Rome would have been all too familiar with. It paints the, slave, the, the, uh, the scene of a slave about to be auctioned off to a life of forced labor. Now, like most historical accounts of slavery, slaves in ancient Rome were considered property under Roman law. Thankfully, you and I cannot even imagine or fathom how one human being can look at another human being and, and, and treat them as though they are property to be used and then disposed of. As the Romans continued to expand and, and conquer, they would bring people back to Rome literally by the thousands and enslave them. Now, there were a handful of slaves that were highly educated and highly skilled and would have been treated halfway decent by, by slave owners. But the vast, vast majority of slaves would work in farms and in mines. They would, would, be, uh, would be used and abused. They would be exploited with hard, hard physical labor. It's actually estimated that at that time in Rome, up to 30% of the population may have been slaved enslaved. I want you to take just a minute and think about the people that you love the most in your life. Get a picture of them in your mind, maybe some names. It might be your spouse. It might be your children. It might be your parents, siblings. Uh, it may be just some of your really, really close friends. Think for a moment about those individuals. Now, let me ask you, what would it be like if you had to watch each and every one of them sold off to another slave owner who would take them to a place that you would never, ever see again. Can you imagine what it would feel like if you yourself were stripped of your clothes, stripped of your rights, stripped of your possessions, stripped of all your relationships, and you were stood in front of a large crowd to be auctioned off to become someone else's slave. The word redemption that Paul is using here means to redeem, to ransom, or to liberate. It has the idea of a slave being ransomed and set free. What an emotional roller coaster that would be. Think about standing on the auction block and the bidding begins. You're standing there and a man in the back of the, the, the crowd makes the first offer. And uh, the second offer comes from another slave owner wanting to buy you and, and you recognize that name and know that he has a reputation for being very, very harsh and brutal. Uh, a third person makes a, a bid to buy your life and to purchase you and you don't know anything about him, but just looking at him and the harshness of his exterior, 
something in your stomach just starts to really turn. Your head is, is spinning as you're thinking about what awaits you. Your family is sitting there watching all of this take place, thinking that this may be the very last time that they see you. And then from the back of the room on the other side, you hear a, a voice call out. And, and he, he makes a final bid that, that ceases all bids. The other three that were bidding on you put their heads down in defeat. And before you can even put a, a face with the voice, you hear the, the words, them all. I'll take them all. I've already paid for them all. As the man approaches where you're standing with shackles on your hands and on your feet, he comes up to you and says, you and your family are free to go. What just happened? You know, that, that's what you would be thinking. You were destined to live a life as a slave away from your family, but now you are forever free. You have been ransomed. What would you be feeling in that very moment? What would you say to the man who, who redeemed you, who bought your freedom and then, and then released you? How, how would you talk with your family about this experience? How, how would that experience change your life forever? Church, a better question would be, has that experience changed your life forever? God's gift of grace declares you and I, sinful, guilty people, as being innocent. It pays our ransom and it frees us, but that's not all. Paul provides one final picture that I want us to look at before we close this morning. And that's of the term atonement. Look at verses 25 and 26. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. That means that for ages and ages and ages, when people sinned, God in his righteousness didn't just zap them right then. He, he had been patient to wait until a rescuer had come. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at this present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Atonement is a religious term that simply means to appease or satisfy a God. Paul again uses this to provide one more picture that would be very, very easy for the people in Rome to understand and appreciate. It involves a sacrifice that is made to appease or satisfy a God. And in the Apostle Paul's day, there were many, many different pagan religions that, that used animal sacrifices and sometimes human sacrifices to attempt to pacify or satisfy their God. Uh, perhaps it was a drought season in, in an agrarian economy. They may have sacrificed animals or they may have even sacrificed some of their children to get that God to send rain. Now, under the Old Testament uh, of the law, uh, Jews were to bring animal sacrifices to provide a temporary covering of sins 
and to foreshadow the once and for all complete sacrifice that Jesus Christ would one day make on the cross. The Old Testament would spell out exactly what kind of sacrifice was needed and how to bring it. The problem was that an animal sacrifice could never permanently cover the penalty for the sin that we had committed. And yet Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross, became a once and for all sacrifice that atoned for the sin of mankind. It paid the sin price completely. It satisfied God. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross paid the entire sin debt. We don't owe God anything more because it's been satisfied. We have eternal right standing with God. That's something that an animal sacrifice never could have done. A simple way to think of, of the term atonement is to think of at one met. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can now be at one with God. Our broken relationship has been restored. Church, think about the goodness of God. In, in all of the religions, it's the worshiper, worshiper who brings the sacrifice to appease God. In this case, in the biblical account, it is God himself being the sacrifice on our behalf to make us right with him. There's three verses that are up there, but I just want to read one of them from Hebrews 7.27 that, that describes this once-for-all sacrifice that Jesus has made. Unlike other high priests, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He's his sacrifice for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Animal sacrifice is really pretty gruesome. I don't know if you've been to one lately. It's, it's not a pretty picture. But, but it is a clear picture of the extent that Christ was willing to go to pay the price for our sins. Verse 26 tells us that Jesus became the final sacrifice for our sins. And while doing so, he remained true to his just character. In other words, God didn't just say about our sin, ah, it's no big deal, don't worry about it, I'll let it slide this time. God poured out the full punishment for every sin that you have committed, every sin that I have committed on his son, Jesus Christ. And then he declares us as innocent. Church, we are sinful and we are broken. We have sinned against a holy, righteous God who loves us and created us. We deserve nothing but eternal punishment. But our sins and our guilt have been declared innocent. Our sins that have enslaved us, Jesus paid for that penalty completely so we can live free. There's not enough animals that could be sacrificed to pay for our sins, but Jesus became a once and for all sacrifice for us. Let these truths move from your head and to the place of your affections, to your hearts, so that they can change and transform your life. As the song says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now 
I see. The worship team's going to come up now and they're going to close us in a final song. This is a song that you've probably heard if you've been here at Crossroads for any length of time. Uh, but I, I want you to understand that this is a song of invitation. Uh, following this song, I'm going to close our service out just simply in a, in a prayer. Uh, in a room this size, I am absolutely confident uh, that some of you have no interest in God. You don't, you don't believe the Bible, and, and that's, that's your right. We're not here again to twist your arms whatsoever. But I'm absolutely convinced that there are people here this morning that are, are this close to saying, yes, Lord, I, I need you. And for the life of me, I can't figure out what would keep you from, from coming and receiving that gift. But as, as this text in many places in the Bible have said, it's got to be more than a head knowledge of Christ. You have to, with your heart, bend the knee and, and receive God's free gift of salvation and, and let him come in and, and really have your life. So as they sing, I would encourage you to, to think about that decision. If you've made that decision, I, I pray that this text today has been an encouragement to you and that, that you can really understand your position in Christ and that it motivates you to rearrange your priorities all around following and serving Jesus. If you are here today and you've thought about this decision but you haven't, uh, and you feel just something in your heart saying you need to do this. Uh, it, it's not that you have to know everything there is to know about the Bible to make a decision for Christ. You don't have to, to be in, in, in a right place in your life right now. It's come as you are and just simply acknowledge, Lord, I have sinned against you, and I know there's nothing I can do to earn your forgiveness, but I believe what that man just said, that, that you paid that price for me, and, and I want to receive that gift. If that's your heart, even during that song, you can make that decision. I'm going to come back and close this in a prayer and, and lead you in a prayer that you can pray if you want. It's not a magical kind of thing. It's just simply saying, Lord, I'm going to sit in the driver's seat and I want you to sit in the, I'm going to sit in the passenger seat and I want you to sit in the driver's seat and, and run my life. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, thank you for the image of you being a father with your arms completely open wide. No matter what we've done, no matter what other people say about us, no matter uh, the sins that we have committed, uh, the precious blood of Jesus has made us right with you, Lord. You have played the, the ultimate sacrifice to, to redeem us, to, to uh, help us be, go from being guilty to being innocent before you. And Lord, I, I pray for each and every one of us here this morning that have made the decision to turn our heart and our will over to you. We haven't done perfect. None of us have been. None of us are, are deserving of it, Lord. But I, I pray that you will give us a fresh and a new awareness, that you would move these truths from our, our head knowledge, move them to the deepest place of affection, Lord, so that we would love you more fully, that we would serve you more fully, that we would be obedient to you, Lord, that we would praise you with everything that we have, that we would align our every priority around you at, at the center, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your, your forgiveness. May we celebrate and may we leave this place filled with joy for who we are in our relationship with you. And Father, I pray also for anyone here this morning that uh, is not aware of making that decision. Uh, Lord, if, if they've made that decision, they would be aware of it. Their lives would be different. For, for anyone who would say, man, in church camp in seventh grade, I, I prayed that prayer and has has lived under this illusion that that was uh, paramount to really giving their heart an authentic faith to you. For people that have just said, Lord, I'm too sinful. 
I'm too unworthy. Uh, Lord, would you break through all of those things and free people this morning to, for the first time, authentically reach out and receive the free gift of grace that you so desperately want them to have. Lord, may there not be a single man, woman, boy, child who, who leaves this place this morning and doesn't fully surrender their heart to you. And if you are here this morning and you would say, Wes, you don't have to say anymore. I, I absolutely uh, want to do that. Uh, I can feel the Holy Spirit drawing me to that decision right now. It's a simple thing. It's just simply to say, Lord, I acknowledge that I'm a sinful person. I acknowledge that I have wronged you, a holy, righteous God. Please forgive me. Lord, I, I know that I can't pay you back, but I know that Jesus paid the price for even me. So I receive your free gift of salvation. I want to turn my, my life and my will over to you in the best way that I know how. And if you've made even that decision right now, I pray that you would tell someone today, stick around afterwards, tell, tell one of the leaders here at Crossroads so that we can help you take the, the next steps in your journey and in your relationship with the Lord. Father, we thank you for who you are and all that you've done for us. All together we say, amen. Have a great day. See you next week.